Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, this is Tyler. Are you looking to jump behind the DM screen but worry about being at a loss for words? What if a team of professional writers were sitting right there beside you during your prep and in-game, helping you describe your world and bring it to life? Describe is the next best thing, spelled D-S-C-R-Y-B. Describe offers over 7,000 scenes of places, monsters, and spells, and the collection keeps growing. They're just like box text from your favorite adventure book, but designed to be read aloud in your own campaign. Start the adventure of a lifetime with the help of Describe's finely crafted flavor text. Visit Describe.com slash RPGbot. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B dot com slash RPGbot. And use the code RPGbot at checkout to get 10% off of your first subscription payment. RPGpod.podcast. I'm Randall James, live and in your earballs, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Random Pal. Howdy. All right, what is happening? Well, tonight we're going to talk about voicing characters. So if you play Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop RPGs, most likely you are playing one or more characters. Like normal people, your characters probably should have distinct voices. Doing a voice for your character can be intimidating, especially if you're a newer player or if you just know, like, I don't do good impressions, I'm not going to try it. So Today, we're going to try and give you some tips on what to do, what not to do, and we're going to work through how to build a voice for your character. Voices are a really interesting thing, right? It's There's a lot of cultural connotation that goes into what a voice is going to sound like, and because you're going to be largely working off of the experiences that you've had, there's going to be a lot of real-world connotation that goes into what any particular voice is going to sound like, no matter how hard you try and make it like something. So there's a lot of things to consider as you do create a voice for your character. By the way, just because we are advocating that you, you know, having a voice for a character is a good thing, you should not take this as a mandate. We're three dudes on the internet. It's fine. A voice for your character is a great way to make it feel distinct. It's a great way to indicate when you're role-playing, especially, you know, if you're, if you're someone who does roleplay in first person, having that distinct voice is a great way for you to indicate, I am talking as my character versus I am just talking to the DM, to my friends, whatever. And, and I do think that can be really powerful, right? 
when you were sitting at a table and talking, I feel, feel like a lot of times folks drift in and out of the player's voice versus the character voice. You know, you, you say a thing like, oh, you know, well, you know, can I get the door open or can you get the door open? Well, was that a character requesting another character try the door? Was that a player telling the DM or the GM that they're trying to open the door? Um, that can be really confusing. And so the power of bringing a voice to the table uh, is one that just it gives a clear demarcation of like, this is my character speaking. And you can tell because of the voice. The second thing it does is at a table where there is some indicator, it really can help get folks to enjoy the role-playing aspect because they see you being successful. They see you having a lot of fun. The other players start to hop in and you can get some really great scenes created out of that all because people really become enveloped in the, in the actual role-playing aspect of our role-playing game. Yeah. You know, this is one of the things that, that I talk about a lot um, for, from game design. Generating buy-in is super important. We've talked about it like in horror um, where we talked about, you know, it, that's one of the scenarios where you really need buy-in because if you don't have it, the whole atmosphere just falls apart. But as a tool to generate buy-in, voices are great. Uh, Tyler will happily tell you about my awful thing that needs to happen whenever, you know, I'm voicing a goblin or a pixie. It's shrill. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, but we always know it's a goblin. But you always know it's a goblin or an invisible fairy girlfriend. It's fine. Um, she's from Canada. Wait, they use the same voices? Well, Goblins and invisible fairy girls. They... I, I mean, similar. you know, okay. there, there, there's, there's a high-pitched shrill that my voice doesn't have a lot of range in. So there you go. That's fair. That's fair. Right. Building that sort of engagement. And right, we joke, but that invisible fairy girlfriend, that was from the start of my Rise of the Rune Lords campaign. That was like three years ago. We both still know exactly what I'm talking about. That's the sort of memory that you're going to build if you are able to craft something like that, because that's going to generate buy-in from people. Now, to be fair, how often do people use the phrase invisible fairy girlfriend? I'm grateful for you <laughs> that you haven't spent enough time in the weird parts of the internet. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> Speaking of things that we're, we're just going to leave there. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're advocating for voices. Uh, one common thing that folks do all the time is they step into accents. And we thought it would probably be worth, worthwhile to spend a little bit of time talking about kind of what do we view as maybe like what's okay, what's not okay. How can you navigate the, the gray area or the strictly keep out zones? of how to think about doing voices, doing accents, uh, doing speech affectations, um, because all of these, I think, can be kind of treacherous. I think it really comes down to you shouldn't be punching down. Uh, no matter what the accent is, uh, it should never just be a caricature or a stereotype of things. On the positive side, and maybe to give a positive motivation of this, my view of it really is there should be a reason in the world, in the game, that there's going to be a particular accent or a particular voice and you should have an idea of what's going to drive that. So this is a good place where, you know, one, session zero, talk about it. Are folks comfortable? You know, does everybody want to try an accent? Do we all want to have the same accent? Is one of us from a far off land where we're generally all going to agree that everybody from this land, like, yeah, they, they speak common in an Italian accent because that's what we've deemed is, is going to be the thing that we're going to do. So when you're using real world accents, you do want to be a little bit cautious because inevitably there are going to be accents which probably aren't okay to do because you're mimicking the the voices and behavior of real world people you do need to be very culturally sensitive there if you're not sure 
don't use a real world accent as a shortcut like that that's a good baseline to start from if you're ever thinking like is this okay like pump the brakes maybe look for something that doesn't make you quite as nervous there are some real world accents that are considered more acceptable for people to use and mimic um and three of us three white men speaking into the internet um so all of the biases that that implies if someone came to my game and did a like russian accent i'd be like okay that's probably fine if someone came to my game and like white guy doing an indian accent like ah no um so to to draw comparison to like people who do voice acting professionally um hank azaria voices a bunch of characters on the simpsons or at least did perhaps most famously he voices a poo now there was a whole documentary about this called the problem with a poo um and the premise of the documentary was a poo was like the only representation of indian americans in popular media and he was voiced by a white guy performing a stereotype of an Indian person. And while Apu evolved as a character over time into like a fully fleshed out person with like realistic hobbies and interests and friends, like he was a three-dimensional interesting character, but a lot of people don't see past that shallow stereotypical representation of a real world person. Like Randall said, don't punch down. And by that, like, general guideline that I'm stealing from smarter people, does it target those who have been disenfranchised in a historical, political, social, economic, and or psychological context? Like, that is the idea of punching down. So if if someone has been oppressed by another group of people, don't use that voice, because that could be considered punching down. And the last thing you want to do is pick a voice for your character that's going to offend someone. With that simple hurdle cleared, there's still plenty of options. Like, you do not need to do a voice that's going to offend someone to voice your character. If you've listened to the Morkboard review or various other things in the past, it it may have struck you that I, I use a lot of random linguistics terms. I love languages. As you try and create an accent for your character, if you are going to mimic off of a real-world accent, make some changes. If you are mimicking off of a real-world accent, understand the cultural context. Why am, why am I doing that? A lot of what we think of as accents, in fact, basically nearly everything we think of as an accent, unless you're getting like real regional dialect like within an English-speaking country, is because... The person who is speaking this language is not a native speaker of this language, and their native language does something different that makes it hard for them to do this, right? So I'm, I'm going to use a very famous thing that happens for some groups speaking English. In a language where there is not a difference between R and L, what that will sound like in English can be very easily construed as either sound. If you have a reason why and this is something to world build right this is something to talk with your dm about like what is giant like in your setting what is elvish like in your setting for some of those you can bring in other there's a word that i'm looking for and i'm not finding like other representations of those languages so like if if you want to look at like tolkien tolkien gets brought up a lot because it's great fantasy context 
Tolkien has two Elvish languages, um, which are actually based on Finnish and Welsh, but that's a whole own separate conversation, right? But so if you want to look at like those and say like, okay, well, I want to base my my Elvish on Sindar, and we've got a lot of examples of it, and so I think that this Elvish is going to sound like that. Okay, well, so that's that's what this sounds like. I'm an elf character. What does my common sound like? What does it sound like when someone coming from that tries to to speak this? And you're like, well, okay, there's a lot of like sibilant sounds and you know and and some V's and like, okay, well, so maybe I'm going to try and do something like that um, and and incorporate that somehow. Think about this as you're building a character voice because. If you just start based on just a really stereotypical real-world accent, you're probably not going to hit it very well. Any any real-world accent you do, unless you have put a lot of practice into it, in which case you're going to know a lot of the context behind it, probably, um, <laughs> right? Like, I would hope. Um, unless you're going to do that, you're going to be doing, like, an approximation of it. And the approximation itself of anything can be offensive to someone for whom that is important. Uh, once again, like I talk about a lot, this is where the social contract comes into play. Like, be like, hey guys, I I want to, you know, model my character's voice like this. Is that good with everybody? You know, that's a great place to start. Now, again, there may be a thing where, like, it, just like we talk about, you know, recurring session zeros, ask like, hey, uh, you know, I've been kind of being an in this, in this uh, accent for a couple months. Are are people finding this okay here, or do do I need to like tone this back? You know, both the, the mustache twirling and also being Scottish. I've created I've created an anonymous inbox, so if anybody doesn't like what I'm doing, they can just go ahead and stick it in there. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I do want to say I think talking about how giants speak, I'm pretty sure giants speak Klingon, right? I uh, <laughs> if that's your world, I can't stop you. I desperately want to. <laughs> I, one thing that I'll say, I, I love the idea of if you're going to use an accent, bringing it in, getting everybody comfortable with it, and then having the idea that, yeah, if we meet people from this world uh, or from this part of the world, this is likely what they're going to sound like. And then it becomes something that when you meet more characters, uh, your GM's also going to have to hop in. They're going to have to do the same thing with you, which could actually be a lot of fun, especially, you know, get into the point where, like, you're speaking, you can't actually understand each other. Um, I mean, you can have, I think, a lot of comedy, you know, something that was, uh, have folks seen... Hot Fuzz. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Simon Simon Pegg, Nick Frost. Yeah. There's this fantastic scene where they're out in the middle of the country and there's three different pe- people all speaking to one another where every time it goes up a notch, it gets closer to like what you would consider like a common English because the accent is so heavy. But they're all right. It, it's It's the regional thing. They're all into it. And like that was a great bit of comedy of like. You know, well, he says this, so he says this, and like having to go all the way through it, and then in the end, I think everybody finally understood a particular thing that was being said. I had a lot of fun with it. That's all. I, I think that may be the first time we've talked about a movie on this podcast that I've actually seen. Good, good. <laughs> tiny steps, tiny steps. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so we've talked about some accents to avoid and the context behind real world accents and using that in a, in a way that's not offensive. Probably the most stereotypical accent people try to do in Dungeons and Dragons, especially, is a British accent because D&D is based so heavily in Western and Northern European fantasy. It, like you have the very much like there, there's a lot of influence from Tolkien and like 
uh, Arthurian legend and things like that. So a British accent feels like a very natural step for people voicing character, especially for the first time. Is that really how you interpret this? That there's... Arthurian fantasy and Tolkien influences in D and D. Well, and therefore that's the reason that we do British. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pause for a Maybe. second. In my mind, in my mind, it's because we think of the setting for Dungeons and Dragons as being old timey. And if you're an English speaker living in America, obviously the old timey language is a British accent. And and I'm actually gonna gonna veer off that a little bit. I think that as soon as you try and put on a voice, you're trying to like do something like putting on an air, and so you try and go a little bit fancy. And a lot of Americans think of a posh British accent as fancy. It's interesting, right? So if, if we try and think about, like, even just Britain has so many accents, the, the UK as a whole, oh my god, there's so many. Like, you, you drive, I don't know, 20 minutes, you hit three accents. And a, and a lot of consonants. Uh, <laughs> the, the further west you go, the more consonants you run into. Thanks, Welsh. Another thing that we think about, right? So a, a very stereotypical thing, let's think of... For instance, 101 Dalmatians. Hopefully you've seen that one, too. I have. Wait, the, yes. the live action or animated? The animated, jeez. The animated. I'm just checking. Okay, keep going, keep going. <laughs> the two thief characters at the beginning, right? The, the, they are speaking in a pretty stereotypical Cockney accent, which is also, also a British accent. But a funny thing is that's sort of become part of the cultural zeitgeist. Cockney is actually... So Cockney rhyming slang is the inspiration for Thieves' Cant. And that's been that way just kind of forever. We, we talk about British accents, but there's a ton of British accents. But yeah, so specifically this Elizabethan accent that you're talking about, very Shakespearean, very high drama, which really lends itself to a D&D game, right? We are play-acting, and I say we here glaring at Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to put on a story and so stepping into that role of stage actor feels very natural and an elizabethan accent is a great way to do that in addition to the elizabethan shakespearean accent there is the concept of basic fair accent which is kind of a faux british accent that was i'm not sure developed but it is commonly used in american renaissance fairs we will link resources in the show notes because I am not adequately equipped to teach you how to do it on a podcast, but the accents are different. Like the emphasis on syllables is different. Uh, the A in a lot of words is pronounced differently. You use very hard R's. It sounds kind of vaguely British and old timey, but at the same time, it's very jarring. <laughs> so that is a, an example of an accent that it is perfectly fine to perfectly replicate in your games and will not sound like your regular speaking voice because the pronunciation is so different. I really hope it doesn't sound like your regular speaking voice. Is that a comment on my regular speaking voice? No, no, I'm just, you know, out, out there listening, right? Imagine yeah. going through everyday life. I guess yeah. if you, you know, if you work at Renfest, I guess this kind of makes yeah. sense. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll link some show notes or we'll link some resources in the show notes. Um, it's not super hard to learn. Uh, give it like 20, 30 minutes and you'll have an accent ready to go. And you can use that for all of your uh, fancy British characters if you want. All right. So now we've talked a lot about accents. We actually haven't talked about making accents. We're going to continue to talk about or we're going to continue to not talk about accents. Affectations are easier to do. They're more accessible. Uh, and honestly, it might be a great way for you to create the voice for your character. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
I see what you did there. I like that. That was good. That was solid. Uh, so a, a, a good comparison to draw here. Um, there is there was a series of sketches on Saturday Night Live uh, about like a, a club of people who lie. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. I should have written this one down. But the sketch is always a monologue by one character who is allegedly the president of this association of liars. And he has a very, very noticeable affectation but it's just the, like the actor using his regular voice. But every time he says something, he says like he finishes saying something that's clearly a lie and says, yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. So you always know like, oh, this is that character he's doing because he has that very distinct affectation. Having something like that for your character can make it much easier to transition into your character's voice without actually changing the way you speak all that much. Like just just using a few catchphrases or specific things that only your character says makes it very clear and dan producer dan with the save uh the sketch is president of pathological liars anonymous uh voiced by tommy flanagan thank you producer dan we'll link that in the show notes it's a good funny sketch it's a good a good time oh, yeah, tommy, okay. tommy flanagan's the character name my dude well <laughs> you know uh this is fine. I live in a dungeon. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, John Lovitz. What a good actor. So having those catchphrases for your character can help you transition into your character's voice in a way that's really going to make it very easy for everyone else at the table to know who you're speaking as. With that said, please do try and avoid stereotypes. If you're playing as the the stealthy rogue and you end every sentence in Date Bayo, I am going to kick you out of my game so fast you don't understand. Wait, wait, what was that sentence again? It's a Naruto reference. It sure is. <laughs> There's just like there are things... So just like you can have an accent be problematic... You can have uh, affectations be problematic, you know, particularly if you are doing something like a speech impediment, you know, um, lisps are a, 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 and it's interesting because affected, affected lisps are sort of a, a thing that happens even in modern English. You know, there is this stereotype of very effeminate, um, like men sometimes using that lisp as an affectation in their voice. And this is a thing that you see in some popular media. And just because it's there doesn't mean it's a, a good thing to affect, right? So th this is a real speech impediment. Stuttering, also a real speech impediment. Now, if you want to handle this in a respectful way, that can be a really interesting thing. You know, if, if this is something where, like you know, like I said up in, in accents, if you talk with people, you're like, hey, man, I really want to have this character that stutters and has worked a lot to be a spellcaster with their verbal components. And if you, if you can work in a good story and you handle it in a respectful manner, that can be a very cool, very memorable thing, but you have to be really careful with it. Yeah, I think I mean, that's actually a, a fantastic example. You know, imagine that when the person gets nervous, the stuttering problem gets worse, right? So, hey, I'm going to try to intimidate this person. Roll the die comes up as, as a five. Maybe that's how you manifest the failure in what you say in the fact that knowing that your intimidation check failed. Or again, like when your spells miss, it isn't that your spell actually missed. It's that you said the word wrong. Like you, you didn't get the verbal component correct. 
So it could be a great way of bringing in the play acting. And then you could imagine at the culmination of the story, like you're in this, this uh, character's personal arc, you're facing down the big bad guy, which is actually a person used to give this person grief previously in life. And then, you know, at that final moment, they get the role and, you know, they stand up and they, you know, it's like, oh, you know, what are you going to do to stutter? I mean, it's like, no, I'm going to kill you. And like, that could be a lot of victory tied into manifesting that and also being conscious of like, yeah, no kidding. How would this issue affect my character? You should also be careful about mimicking real world speech impediments because that behavior can bleed over into your real real world speech. Like if you spend hours at a time portraying a character with a lisp, like you might go home at the end of the day and find yourself lisping in real life. Like doesn't happen to everybody but like just like there is emotional bleed in acting and sometimes in role-playing sometimes you might get into a pattern and then get stuck there for a while so be conscious of that if it starts to become a problem with you pump the brakes stop doing it yeah just come back and say hey great news character's cured <laughs> what, what did you do during your downtime it's like oh, okay you worked at the bar for a little bit i think that's great uh you went and uh you made a bunch of wood because you're a carpenter that's wonderful you went to speech therapy good for you good choices got it taken care of right away i, I want to go back a second you talked about catchphrases and I, I actually i can think of two separate things that you mean so one is like literally like things that you say all the time so for instance if somebody i don't know they were like ah this is gonna get spicy and then you know things went on to get spicy you might say that that's a bit of a catchphrase the other thing I could think about, and we'll get into this a little bit when we talk about making voices, but I have, uh, and there's a, there's a word for, or a phrase for this in acting, and I can't think of what it is, you know, the thing that you say when you're going to try to put on a voice. Uh, so for me, for example, uh, if I want to do Deckard Kane from Diablo, you know, it's a, you, know, oh, you found a Roger Cube. Like that's, if I say <laughs> that, then, you know, I can party and stay a while and listen. And now I can do the voice because I've done the thing. And like, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever heard that voice, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, using like you center on something and you have like, this is my gate to getting into it. And then once you get going, you find that you can succeed. That's, it's a pretty common technique to use. And if it's something that makes sense for your character, you know, all the better. Uh, so you found a Roger, a Roderick cube. Uh, probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but stay a while and listen. Yeah, that's the thing you say to people. It's like, we were already sitting down, old man, but I guess I'll continue to stay. <laughs> I do think it could be a lot of fun thinking about your characters, where they're from, what they've seen, and letting that help motivate the things that they say all the time. You know, let's say you have a, you're a swashbuckler, you have a sailing background, you're a sword fighter, this sort of thing. You're probably not going to, like, use overly long affirmations for anything. It's like, you know, absolutely, dude. Like, that's not the thing that your <laughs> swashbuckler is going to say. Uh, but maybe if you're, who would say absolutely, probably uh, no one, uh, eloquence bards. <laughs> Fantastic. Good. I, I played a, uh, paladin of the Brotion who would definitely say that. You no. heard me. <laughs> no, uh, say that one more time. Paladin of the Brotion. You worship Brosidon, god of the Brotions. Sure did. Yeah. Uh, Oath of Ancients paladin, uh, recited incorrect nautical facts. <laughs> Uh, I did not know about this character. I am pleased. <laughs> Played it in a one shot. It was this guy's first time DMing. I was, I was trying to have fun with it. Um, he is uh, big on marine life and um, ecology and things like that. Works at an aquarium. Like knows a lot about the ocean. So he had to deal with me 
stomping around as this idiot paladin who very clearly knew nothing about the ocean. Me just like, what can I say about crabs? That's definitely not true. Yeah. But absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So <laughs> did you know when crabs molt, uh, eventually they become small whales? <laughs> That's actually why we have a whale shortage right now. Everybody loves crabs. Can't get enough crab legs. <laughs> Wonderful. Just write that down. <laughs> no, just uh, send my, that to him with no context. Yeah. <laughs> my initial my initial falsehood that I thought of as soon as you said it, it's like you know if you, if you add up the mass of all the fish in the ocean, it actually weighs more than the water. <laughs> no, because you there are people who would think about that for a moment and be like, maybe I mean fish are heavier than water, right? That's why they sink. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know no. that if you stack all of the whales in your home from the surface of the earth to the moon, they would all they die. die. <laughs> oh, ah. Wonderful. Um, they don't letting it bleed into your real world speech. That's that's good advice for an accent too, right? And particularly if you choose an accent that is close to yours, which is going to be the easier one to do. You know, I, the the accents that I I, I have voiced lots of characters. Um, I did a Russian accent to, to Tyler's point. Um, and that one was very easy to switch in and out of. But then, like, uh, for the, the Paladin in the Strahd game that I talk about a lot, I basically just did my voice, but deeper and, and a bit gravelly because it was a, a Goliath. I mean, I would sometimes get basically stuck like that. You know, like, if, if we would go on a break <laughs> or something, I would just talk as Corin for a second, and then, nope, that's not how that goes. <laughs> um, but then, of course, the, the real fun was when I would talk as that character as a werewolf because it would sound like the unedited version of what i did in the Morkborg episode so there you go <laughs> and that's kind of a funny thing like if you're doing the voice of the gravelly character one of the things that does is it destroys your voice so then you sound like the voice in the it's like when did you start smoking no I just play D this weekend that's all <laughs> <laughs> yeah those deep gravelly voices and things like that sometimes you do have to be a little careful about the vocal strain i am not a voice actor i am not equipped to give good advice on this but I have read that tea with honey in it is really great for a sore throat. That's what Big T wants you to think. <laughs> Pretty sure Big T is a rapper, so that's a weird thing for you to call out. But I... and, and he loves tea and honey. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one other thing you can do, particularly if you're doing this for like a, like a one-shot or if you want to take something and then build off of it, start with a popular character um, and then go from there. And I, I will also say that some characters are better and worse in and of themselves. You know, there's, if, if we want to start off at the terrible end, if you've watched the Star Wars prequels, uh, there are Nemoidians, and who oh boy, that accent is, is rough as yeah. a real-world comparison. Between that and their culture and clothing and the, the rest of the way that they're represented, it draws a very clear real-world stereotype that is a problem. Um, but there are some other ones that are better. Yeah. Futurama is an excellent example of a show with a lot of weird voices that you could just steal. And very few of the voices in the show, you could say, like, yes, this is a real world accent that they're mimicking. Like, there are a couple of characters that are, like, a New York local accent twisted yeah. beyond recognition. Every lobster person except for Zoidberg. You know, I'll have to go back and watch that episode again. No, but... 100%. Like, everybody has, like, the... Every... every what, are, what are they called? I have no idea. I'm going to call them Zoidbergs. Sure. Everybody at home, you know what I mean. Every <laughs> Zoidberg, except for Zoidberg, has, like, the thick New York accent. To the point, like, at one point, I was quoting, like, something at you, and you're like, 
dude, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And it's like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's Futurama. It's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, the other one, which actually like this was in uh, one of the documentaries for Futurama. Hermes Conrad is Jamaican. Because they were doing the initial like pilots, they were doing the recording, and somebody came in and was like, I, just, I don't think what we're doing is working. I think they had already cast the character like two or three times. So the actor who had landed the job like knew that they had already like fired people. And I guess somebody came in the office and was like, you know, hey, I think we should do a Jamaican. Can you do a Jamaican accent? Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I'll figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can, absolutely. And then went and did it and came back. And of course, they built something around that character. So it wasn't so out of place. Although I don't, I don't know. Like, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, professor? You know, good news, everyone. Like that's a that's a lot of fun. You can... Yeah, and there's your affectation right there to get you right into the voice. Just good news, everyone. Oh God, I did Deckard Kane again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, aren't aren't they really kind of the same character though? If you think about it, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I really they love... are. <laughs> in uh in in the early seasons, a lot of times, uh, Professor Professor Farnsworth sounds like softer and squirrelier like they're they're trying to talk to him with someone's like oh yes i i had a, a dream about this i've invented the button and like you know and then you get to, and he, you know he goes into his whole thing um so like later in the show when once it kind of became solidified it was always that like deep rolling you know good news everyone and then we go on we do these things uh yeah no there, there's something good there the future star cloud thing it's like you know I hope that you find peace. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so there's your catalog of characters to steal from. Futurama. Uh, basically, pick any any show you like with a bunch of diverse voices that aren't just foreign accents, and you can steal from it. Uh, the Muppets. Perfectly fine place to steal voices from. Uh, Sam the Eagle. Very, like, just your voice, but deeper and more American. Like Kermit very, the Frog here. There you go. Yeah, Kermit the Frog. Uh, hey guys, don't, do, should, uh, don't do Beaker. Wait, why not? Beaker's awesome. Meep. 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 But, there you go. Uh, a little hard to communicate that way. Uh, I mean, it could be a little bit of fun. <laughs> it's, it's like the, it's the R2-D2. I guess you can't do R2-D2 either, can you? I mean, that <laughs> just depends on how good you can whistle. But, <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. That, that was actually really good. Yeah. Everybody around R2-D2 always knows what he's saying, though, so it's probably fine, right? So, Bite... Oh, hey, we're just going <laughs> to veer way the heck off into left field for a second. So, <laughs> Droid Binary is a language that all of the droids in Star Wars speak and is a language that you can learn as a human, um, including in, among other things, Final Fantasy, I did that on purpose, Star Wars, um, you can learn <laughs> a like droid binary as a language, and that's useful for communicating with things like astromechs that can only speak in binary. Yeah, there are actual characters in Star Wars who don't speak droid binary and get stuck in situations where like the astromech is trying to talk to me. I know it's trying to talk to me. No idea what it's saying. Uh, and if I remember right, Luke Skywalker doesn't actually learn astromech binary until episode five or six. Like, there's a scene of him flying in his X-Wing off to Dagobah, and he's having a, a text conversation with R2-D2 because he doesn't speak droid binary yet. So, like, yep. it, yeah, it's a thing. Anyway. But we collectively digress. <laughs> yes. So I think this will be fun. So we've talked about all of these things, doing voices. How about we put it into practice and we actually come up with some terrible voices? And I think not just voices, but even also like, what are the, what are the things that these characters would say? 
because of where they're from and how they grew up. Like, what are the things that you could bring, which you don't use in your everyday, that these characters would? Yeah, absolutely. How about we use the characters from the one-shot series? Okay, perfect, perfect. Uh, so who wants to go first? There's going to be thinking here, right? So we take Amiable Jack, and when I did his voice, I, I largely made it like my own voice. I tried to keep it a little bit intentionally softer. Um, I tried to keep it a little bit, boy, how do I describe that quality that I'm going for? A, a little bit kind of intentionally honeyed. I, I was really going, I was playing into the high charisma, right? So you, you look at your, your character for inspiration. So is a bard, right? Very high charisma. I was looking for, you know, something to convey confidence. I was looking for someone to convey or something to convey the fact that he's very charming. And, and that's where I kind of got those things. Now, looking at some other parts of the character for inspiration, right? So he's an orphan. So he's going to have grown up around a lot of other races learning common, but with their own distinct anatomy as to how they pronounce things. So he's going to have kind of this weird polyglot accent where, and particularly if, you know, some of these orphans came from it, like if, if they had learned their native language before being orphaned, if these are kids who are like, five, six, and then they end up in the orphanage, they're going to come there speaking Elvish, Dwarvish, even other, like, you know, maybe more exotic things. Maybe you get an, a, an, a half-orc in there who was abandoned by their orc parent after learning to speak orc. You get some of that going in. Yeah. Adopted father is an elf. Adopted father is a half-elf. Half-elf, <laughs> half-elf. Half famously <laughs> long-lived half-elf, apparently. <laughs> Um, it right? out. There's some stuff there, right? And and so with all that, like I talked about a little bit that I that I went into the character with, but if I was going to try and make this something more intentional, I would try and definitely keep a keep that a, a little bit like lower, not gravelly, not intense, but just lower, kind of sweet, very melodic tone. Also a satyr, so you know that the music comes naturally. And then maybe just try and throw in like a like a badly translated idiom that he loved. <laughs> like, you know, like let's say that that um and I'm just putting characters into your world and you can't stop me except you can. Um <laughs> but like right, let's let's say that he had um a sister who was that that abandoned half orc. And let's say that she, you know, she had this great orcish idiom that just doesn't exist in common and he absolutely loves it and you know he would just tell people like oh man you have and this is klingon but i i can't come up with something like oh man you have really stuck your leg in front of a targ oh man you you have you have done something intentionally foolish you have put yourself in harm's way this is a thing that like he sees I forget which version of G name you are in in the overworld. I think it's <laughs> Georg. 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 Yeah, Georg. Yeah. He sees Georg drawing his sword like, "Oh, you have put your leg in front of a targ." <laughs> Wait, so did you say this was an orcish adopted sister or was this a yes. giant adopted sister? Orcish, right? Okay. Well, just cuz oh, the oh, I'm giant. Sorry, you're right. You just, <laughs> perfect. It's a Goliath. There you go, right? Because perfect. they speak Klingon. <laughs> Nailed it. Good. <laughs> Okay, so so my character Georg, uh, the dragonborn fighter, 
in my mind, Georg grew up in the orphanage and throughout his adult life has gone back and forth between being a mediocre soldier and a terrible potter. (laughs) Uh, He's seen a little bit of the world. He's done some things, probably not especially well. And since I created Georg for that first horror one-shot, in my mind, Georg is a little bit skittish and anxious. So, uh, and my voice acting chops are abysmal so i don't do this successfully but in my mind georg's voice is a little like a little bit tight like a little a little higher in the voice like ah i'm very uncomfortable with this situation but hey let's roll for initiative because <laughs> violence is easier than this conversation uh I- i like that though <laughs> yeah like even what you're doing just now like i like that and it's distinct from how you talk to us every day right and it, it's just enough like I can transition in and out of that pretty easily if I remember. Um, And like, I can do that for a reasonably long amount of time without hurting myself. So we had Hannah Colbert on from Dames and Dragons very recently. And Hannah's character Slake uses kind of a similar voice. And I'm really hoping that I didn't accidentally steal their idea. But Slake's voice is a little higher, a little anxious, a little uncertain, but very eager. I mean, the closest approximation I can get is very similar, but just because Hannah and I speak so differently in our regular day-to-day voice, it does come out very differently. So the characters come out sounding distinct from one another. Hannah is also from a different part of the country, so like the the local idioms and affectations are a little bit different. Like the the go-to phrases are a little different. Like, I, no, I, I think that's great. Like the the voice that you're you're talking about, it actually makes me think of. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Have you seen this film? <laughs> yes. Okay. The Do you remember the Weasels? Yes. They're, they're suit. Okay. No, I'm doing a bad job now. Uh, you do your thing. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I need. I need your thing. I need to hear it. Uh, you want to tell me something about weasels? Those sound terrifying. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, it was close enough. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it's just like I I don't actually. That's what the the Duke sounded like or whatever he was right the judge the, the judge when he that, yeah 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 it's like <laughs> when i killed your brother i talked like this like that whole um <laughs> i would wreck spoilers. my voice <laughs> spoilers for a 50 year old movie yeah literally. <laughs> that is a great film yeah <laughs> uh but yeah like that would destroy your voice if you tried to keep that going for a long time but maybe as a dm or a gm like that's a character you could certainly bring in and then you know Eddie, anyway. One thing that I do just want to touch on before we, we get too much out of this. So if you are going to do this, practice. If you're voicing a character, if you're a GM, think about, you know, what are these voices going to be? And just, just practice. It doesn't have to be a lot, but just, like, go take 15 minutes to just think about, like, Think about some phrases that really highlight the parts of their accent that matter. We we get the very typical, the very stereotypical Boston accent, Pak the Ka and Havad Yad, right? That extremely non-rhotic R. And just just do that for a bit. And you know, doing that and then like running that into a couple other sentences and then getting back to that and then running into a couple other sentences, that can be your your touchstone as it were like um randall was talking about for getting into the voice when you get there but just like start there and even listen to some real world if if there are any if you're basing it off of a real accent listen to some real world examples of it like i will take 
absolutely even the most tenuous connection to uh, just say, go listen to Brian Singer. He is a dialect coach. He appears on Wire's YouTube channel a lot. He is brilliant. Go watch all of his videos and then use that as some of the basis. And also you'll understand more of the stuff that I randomly bust out when I talk about languages. We'll have links in the show notes. (laughs) Perfect. Homework. (laughs) Well, all right. uh, Randall, I... I think uh, I think it's our turn to put you on the spot. All right. Uh, I'm stoked. So, yeah, I mean, we did a character, and I did a voice for the character. But, yeah, let's talk about it. So, uh, Aram Daryu is a dragon who also manifests as a man uh, and spends, you know, so far we've seen about half and half. Uh, so he is fairly old, fairly large, fairly majestic. He's a gold dragon. Uh, and a hundred percent, I went for the Deckard Kane, you know, you know, there, there were a couple of times where I actually had to like, you know, reach up, turn the mic off and do the, you know, you found a Roger go, Oh, Georg, I'm glad that you've come. Like I, I really wanted to get that, that gravel in a way that I think Deckard Kane doesn't have. And so the, you know, I want things to roll. you know, and like really putting that out there was something that I worked on and I tried to do as we were going through it. But I, uh, I, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about some of the things, like the mannerisms, the things that Aram would say. Um, I guess the one thing that we did do is like during the combat where you're fighting, but he doesn't really want to kill you. Which spoilers, uh, <laughs> folks at home. But um, yeah, maybe stop and go listen. They're great, and then come back and you can listen to this too. But right, like the whole, it's like you know, oh, well met, you know, well struck. You know, this whole, like, encouraging you and being, like, almost crazy in the battle that, like, you know, we're actively trying to kill each other, basically, but I'm still going to encourage you and, like, welcome you because I I don't sense danger to myself. And I'm even a little bit stuck up, or no, stuck up's not the right word. You very easily could have killed his guard. Yeah. And the character is just like, good job, you guys are so strong. Like, that's... You know, it's not a disdain for life, but it's just being so far above it, which as a dragon, 100%, right? Like, they are worth what they're worth, uh, and and the rest of us are pawns in everything that's happening. Yeah, I, I think you conveyed that pretty well through the character. Awesome, awesome. But yeah, I think I'm going to have to be more thoughtful as we go forward. The other one that happened in that same episode is we went to the docks. Or no, I guess it was the next episode. We went to the docks. We met a character, and I did not expect that we were going to have to meet a character. So I'm like, I'm just going to do a voice very quick. And I feel like I really, <laughs> I, I don't want to say I dropped the ball on that one, but I think it does kind of motivate the, like, keeping a few things in your pocket as a GM. So that at any point, if you want to give a particular voice, like, ah, I rolled the dice, you know, I've, I've got a voices table. It starts as a D2 because that's all I've got. And, you know, <laughs> over time you grow to a D4, or D6, and eventually, uh, yeah, you can whip out a voice when you need to. So, And then you've got a random encounter table of voices. Perfect. All right, this week's question of the week comes to us from at Cyber Colossus. Why is Eberron a hard setting to run for? Is it because the lore is so ambiguous with regards to who is right and wrong? If a good is more nuanced, do the new errata make this more or less complicated? So I think we got this question back close to when the D&D errata 3.0 came out back in the fall. So we've been sitting on this one for a little while. So I apologize, Cyber Colossus. So Eberron is not a setting that I'm super, super familiar with, so I can't answer this perfectly well, but uh, my understanding is 
they use unreliable narrators a lot. Um, a lot of settings do this. You you have the concept of an unreliable narrator where someone's version of history within the world may not necessarily be accurate. And depending on where you are or who you ask, you might get a different answer. So having that unreliable narrator can be a little frustrating for the DM at first because you look at the lore of the setting. You're like, I don't know what actually happened. How do I run a game here? Uh, the answer is pick the history that you like and say, I'm going to base all my decisions on that one being correct and just go from there. And if you want to play a twist on your players, maybe partway through the game, change it and just pick a different narrator and be like, everything you guys know about the setting, very suddenly wrong. Tyler hit on one really great point, which is the unreliable narrator. The also, there is also another really big thing about Eberron, which is that while there is a lot of unreliable narration, there is just a lot of lore for it. And a lot of it is very different than kind of your your standard Faerun or Greyhawk fair. There's a lot closer to steampunk, and that can feel very anachronistic in a generic fantasy setting. But it's it's so big, and it's it's such an important part. And you know, uh, other things, dragon marks, like the the whole concept of dragon mark. I turn eighteen. I suddenly have a magical thigh tattoo that tells me that <laughs> I'm the best at apples and now I can fly airships and no one prepared me for any of that. <clears throat> Some of the dragon marks. So we, we talked about this in uh, the flight episode to fly the Eberron airships. You must have a mark of the storm. It like, it's literally required. That's how they're built. And so if you express a mark of the storm outside of like the major house, suddenly your life takes a 90 degree turn having having something like that having all of the like crystal shenanigans and dragon shards and and all that (laughs) stuff built into it like having all that having all of that be something that everyone has to think about means that as you build your characters or and as you build your story as a dm if you're not taking that stuff into account it's not gonna feel like eberron like why are you bothering to put this in eberron why aren't you just running it in faerun where people can be more familiar with things. One of the other, you know, problems is because the the default setting for 5th edition is Faerun, the default setting for 3.5 is Greyhawk, but Faerun was also a big deal. And then Eberron was sort of like this side thing. So a lot of your players aren't going to feel as comfortable in the same way that you as a DM aren't going to feel as comfortable. And that's that's a huge piece of what makes it so hard to run for. Yeah, I think th- those are both great points. I guess there's one more thing that I'm thinking about. The fact that it is kind of this steampunk setting. I imagine as a GM not being sure how far to let the characters take that part of the setting. If we think of this as modeled after something like medieval Europe, it's like, yeah, we have the mill. That is our great invention. We have the mill, we have the wheel, we have the plow. Yeah. Uh, nobody is going to build like a cannon turret system to you know, mount on the side of their donkey in, in that particular setting. But as soon as you bring steampunk, it's like, yeah, you know, we have these fancy mechanisms. You know, it's the same reason I think, honestly, like the, the idea of having like an artificer could be fairly complicated both for the player and for the the dm i kind of view this almost similarly of like okay well given that we understand the bridge from uh you know mechanized tractor to ferrari how far am i going to let these players take things everyone itself is kind of a setting where they asked that question and just went as far as they could uh like everyone is the genesis of the concept of 
dungeon punk. Like if you go on tvtropes.com and look at the dungeon punk page, the art for that page is just art from Everon. It, it is everything turned up to 11. It's a little ridiculous. There are lightning trains. Other than that, like, yeah, the stuff we've talked about, the the storytelling doesn't necessarily need to be all that different. Just incorporate those Eberron elements, like use the higher technology, use the abundance of simple magic, uh, ride a lightning train at high levels, give them an airship. It's neat. Uh, other than that, like a lot of stories that you would run for any other D&D campaign, you can just drop right into Eberron. They work fine. And with lightning trains, we will circle back to Dante Bayo and then quickly leave it again. So <laughs> the new Errata, does it make this more or less complicated? The short answer is no. I, I understand the, the question there. You know, are, are we saying that, okay, we're, we're erasing some of the racial stereotypes inherent in things and then adding some vagueness. And the thing is, already... This is literally a different world. The The reason that, you know, Drow were so often stereotyped, <clears throat> as as we talked about um, back a couple times on, or a, on a couple different episodes, right? Lolf says, go do things that most humanoid races consider evil. Great. We're in Eberron. What's a Lolf? <laughs> right? The, you know, the, there's nothing there, right? So if without that, the simple fact that this update happened shouldn't really affect how things worked in Eberron because nearly everything that they talk about, given the default setting, is functionally Faerun. There was no reason for your Eberron to look like Faerun in the first place, now that Faerun has been both slightly more and slightly less homogenized, there is still no reason for your Eberron to look like Faerun. Alright. Okay. All hail the leisure Illuminati. Hail. 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 I'm Reynold James. You can find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Campster. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at RPGBOTDOTNET, and Patreon.com slash RPGBot. I'm Random Powell. You'll find me playing a Goliath Paladin sometimes. But no, uh, mostly I'm here on RPGBot.net, contributing to the podcast, of course, and some articles. And in places where people play games, I'm often Harlequin or Harlequin. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links on the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find early access to RPGBot.content, content, polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You can find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. So I, I really do struggle with that Deckard Kane impression, just bleeding and everything else. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.